This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here with Ken Campbell and Ryan Kennedy. And before we launch into the show, we want to extend our condolences from the Hockey News to the family of Timur Fezutinov, 19 years old, Dynamo St. Petersburg, the junior team, got hit by a puck, just a freak accident. It wasn't a big hard slap shot. It caught him in an awkward way, and he ended up passing away a few days later. Very, very sad story and just a tragic, fluky event. And we want to extend our, our sincere condolences to his family. So now we will launch into our regular show. Uh, we are at mid-season, roughly, of the NHL year. It's, you know, give or take, because of COVID, some teams have played a lot more games than others. But if you kind of average it out, I think every team is getting close to that 28-game mark. So I wanted to take stock of a couple things. First of all, uh, we've been updated. I think, I think uh, we updated our Stanley Cup picks at the quarter mark, and now we're doing it again. So we'll start with you, Ken, because uh, I don't think you were on that podcast when Ryan and I updated our picks. So we'll give you the floor first. Who is your Stanley Cup pick? Has it changed? And who is it right now? Well, I can't remember who it was before, but it's Tampa Bay Lightning now. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure it was that before. Um, I, I, I know they lost last night and didn't look very good against Nashville, but, um, but I, I think they still have the best points percentage in the league. Um, you know, they've been consistent from beginning to end. Their, their goaltending has been absolutely uh, incredible. You know, Victor Hedman is by, in, in my opinion, as close to a shoe and as to, to win the Norris trophy this year, as you're going to find. Um, and uh, they're just, they're just solid all around. And uh, they're just, they're, you know, they're obviously were the best team in the NHL last year. And they're just sort of continuing on that, uh, on that, tra- they're, they're just riding that train. Mm-hmm. And I'll go with the Vegas golden Knights uh, sticking with what I said last time at the quarter mark. I just think that Vegas, uh, you know, very similar to Tampa Bay, where they're, you know, they're riding pretty high right now. They're getting excellent goaltending from Marc Andre Fleury. They're the type of team where they can just roll lines. They have a lot of depth. And, you know, for a franchise that has, you know, they fell short in their first year, uh, making to the final, and then they had some bad playoff hiccups after that. I feel that they have that drive that they know that they kind of deserve another shot at the cup and to actually raise it this time. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I had Colorado before the season started. I had Colorado at the quarter season mark. I still think they have a shot, but it's hard when they're not fully healthy yet as a team. I have Vegas as a sleeper. I think maybe they need one more upgrade to the forward group. Um, but if you look at the lightning, so something I said all year last year was the last time a team won 62 games, the next season, they came back way stronger. They won the cup. It was the 97 Red Wings who won 62 games in 96. The Lightning learned in the same way. They retooled their team. They learned how to win ugly. They brought in some complimentary pieces that made them more balanced, and they won. And what did the 97 Red Wings do the next year? They won again. And what do I think the Lightning are going to do this year? Win again. Um, because they, they've learned how to win, so they don't strike me anymore as a team that is going to flame out after a great regular season. If anything, they're going to gain more momentum because they're going to get Nikita Kucherov back in time for the playoffs. That's going to give them a shot in the arm in terms of the type of upgrade. They're playing this well without him. And if you look at great dynasties, especially the modern modern era dynasties, you know, a dynasty today is not going to win five cups in a row. Dynasty today wins two or maybe, you know, three in a span of five years. I think the Lightning are showing characteristics of a, of a modern dynasty in the making, because if you look back, all of those dynasties, the, the recent ones, you know, the Kings and the, the Blackhawks and, and, and the Penguins of the previous decade, all those teams have, have 
multiple players that are going to be Hall of Famers someday. And I think we're seeing the lightning now. We're going to look back and say, well, Victor Hedman, he's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Andre Vasilevsky's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Relative to age, he's top five all time in terms of what he's accomplished already. I wrote about that last week on the website. Nikita Kucherov, he's got a lot of accolades. He could be a Hall of Famer. Steven Stamkos could be a Hall of Famer. And you never know, maybe Braden Point ends up winning a selfie down the road. He can end up being a Hall of Famer. So I could see three to five Hall of Famers on this team. I just said Hall of Famers a bunch of times in one rant. Uh, but what I'm saying is, you know, the Lightning, to me, they're showing all the characteristics of being a dynastic operation. And I think they're going to win the cup again. Um, another midseason prediction. I, I want to know, uh, who is your Jack Adams trophy winner so far? Uh, or Jack Adams award, I should say. Ryan, we'll start with you. I'm going to go with Jeremy Colleton in Chicago. Obviously, the Hawks have been one of the biggest surprises of the year. Pleasant surprises, that is. And... You know, when I think about Colleton, you know, young coach, obviously, and, you know, I think it was last year. I mean, time means nothing now, but let's call it last year. Um, I, I watched a seminar that Jeremy Colleton gave um, for the, uh, the NHL Coaches Association, uh, where he was talking about how to coach young players and, you know, how to get the most out of them, how to make sure they're comfortable and it was very interesting. It was very interesting talk. And then it gets me thinking now, you look at the Hawks, still a young team, you know, no Taves, Doc's still on the shelf. But you look at what they've gotten out of Kevin Lankin, what they've gotten out of Pia Suter, you know, Alex DeBrinkett is still a fairly young player and, you know, and doing great. Um, you know, they got Adam Boakvist in the mix. And obviously Patrick Kane is their MVP, but I don't think anybody saw Chicago in a playoff position, even at the quarter mark, let alone the halfway mark. And at this point, you know, barring a big run from Dallas, Chicago's basically in, in that division. And I think that's incredible. And I think a lot of credit should go to Carlton for being able to, to pull this group together. Well, you know, the, the Jack Adams traditionally goes to a guy who, you know, like a Jeremy Colleton, who, who brings a team up and, and, and has a massive improvement. But, you know, I mean, going back to this lightning thing, you know, John Cooper's the longest tenured coach in the NHL. Um, he's done some, he's had some phenomenal regular seasons and he's never won the Jack Adams award. Um, I, th I think that's got to change. <laughs> I think this year is, is the year, particularly if they, take this thing to the distance and are, are the president's trophy champion or, you know, in the top three of the NHL, um, you know, what's wrong with giving it to a guy who has sustained success? You know, we always seem to, to give it to that guy that, you know, that, that, that comes in and, and fixes things and has that short-term success in one year. And lots of times it's not very sustainable. Uh, you know, so I, I think the sustained success combined with what he's doing this year, I, I don't see any reason why uh, we don't give the Jack Adams award because we don't vote for it. The broadcasters do, but uh, I, I would, if I were a broadcaster, that would be my guy. This is fun because we all have different picks, which doesn't always happen. I, I wrote, I did write down, someone will say Jeremy Carlton. I'm creeped out by him because he's the first NHL coach ever head coach that's younger than me. So it kind of weirds <laughs> me out. I'm like, uh, uh, checking for gray hairs in the mirror. Uh, but to me, I always look for uh, in a Jack Adams candidate, who who's in control of a static situation where the personnel around you didn't get upgraded or if anything got worse and yet your team is winning to me it's like okay well using deductive reasoning it's probably the coaching having the greatest impact and if you look at the new york islanders they lost Devin taves they didn't add anything in the offseason and we picked them 
to finish like on the fringe. We're going to talk about them more later on, but this is a, an operation that looked pretty static on paper. And then he continues to just get good season after good season out of this group. I don't think any other team is as influenced by its coaching. It's like every team has a superstar. Maybe it's Matt Barzell, but I think the star, the Islanders star is Barry Trotz. And I think, you know, he's already got two Jack Adams awards. Uh, but if you look, you know, the imprint of his style is on the team. I had some numbers I wrote down, you know, they're middle of the pack in terms of shot attempts allowed, but they allow the fifth fewest shots on goal block, 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 block. So the shots aren't getting to the net and they allow the fourth fewest high danger chances against. So we know this brand of hockey, it works. It's working again. The Islanders are top five in the league in points percentage. So Barry Trotz again is my guy. And I'm trying to remember, has anyone won the Jack Adams three times? Uh, I assume Scotty Bowman, but I don't know for sure off the top of my head. Um, I want to look that up. I should look that up, but I, I have to assume he, if he, if not the first, he'd be one of the only coaches to ever win it three times. And I think he deserves it. Uh, now it's time to ask the question that always gets asked, but I think people are going to laugh because you know, the, the fickle, the fickle nature of the market in Toronto, the team is the greatest team in the world. And then the next week, they're the worst team in the world, but we have to talk about a team that was on top of the league and has lost five out of six games. It, it is a storyline worth discussing. What is wrong with the Toronto Maple Leafs, if anything, Ryan Kennedy? Freddie Anderson. It's like a two-word answer. It's Freddie Anderson in net. Uh, he continually lets them down at inopportune times. And, you know, I know people have said in the past that his stats weren't that bad, but when it came to crunch games, he was always the second best goaltender in that game. He always seemed to be behind, whether it's, you know, playoff rounds in Toronto or simply games that they needed to win. He was always second best. And to me, it's, it's just an intangible that you need to have, that you need to step up at the right time. Now, luckily for the Leafs, he's an unrestricted free agent this summer, so they can start anew. I think what you do now, and I've been thinking about this sort of master plan uh, because, you know, the Leafs are going to make the playoffs and they're they're going to win. You know, they're in a, a bad funk right now, but they're going to get out of it. Jack Campbell should be your starter in the playoffs. But from here on out, don't play Jack Campbell against Edmonton or Winnipeg, because those are the two teams that threaten you the most coming out of the north. So when you play those teams and, you know, you throw up, maybe you throw them in once or twice. Uh, just because you do need to win games, but play Freddie Anderson those games. Give Campbell the other starts so he gets a lot of reps, but the Oilers and Jets don't get much of a book on him, and that's when you go into the playoffs. He's your guy, and hey, if he falters and you go back to Anderson, maybe that's the wake-up call he needed, but I, I think that's the, only, that's the only way you go. You hope that Jack Campbell can be your Matt Murray or Jordan Bennington. You said it was a two-word answer. I think it's a three-word answer. Read the room. I have, for years, I've been talking about this team and their situational play, and it's terrible. Like, they, 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 just, they just react, almost always react wrong to the situation. Hmm. You know, I mean, they come off those games against Edmonton. They look great. They, you know, they're, they're riding high. And you think, you, you know, you figure after a, after a series like that, there's going to be a bit of a letdown. Well, you know, I mean, the, the, the bottom's completely fallen out, you know, situational play. Like, I just find that when they need to, when they need most to sort of tie things down and to, to really sort of play that style that, that, you know, that wins you those games that you're, that you should be comfortable winning, 
uh, they just they just stray from it, you know, and then they end up giving up all kinds of chances and all kinds of shots and their goaltending. I mean, that's the worst situational th- thing they have. I mean, you just you just never know which Freddie Anderson you're getting ever. Like, I mean, he's a good goalie. He's I think he's an elite goalie in the NHL or, or he's he's at the bottom part of the elite goalies in the NHL. Um, maybe a second tier guy, but he's he's good enough. He just doesn't, he just doesn't deliver the goods when you need them the most. And, and in the playoffs, I mean, this guy has been consistently outplayed every year in the playoffs. I don't know how you go back to him this year. And, you know, he's proven that, you know, there are times when he's lights out and looks like a Vezina trophy winner. And then, you know, again, back to the situational play, he just, for whatever reason, then he just goes on these spells that are just awful. Like he's on right now. (coughs) Bless you. And, uh, and I, I just find this is a team that just, like I said, they can't, they just, for whatever reason, they can't read the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's interesting. You know, I do think some of what's gone on with the Leafs, even before we get, before I get to Anderson, there is regression. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of reports showing that they had really high shooting percentages in their PDO. Everything was in their favor early. They weren't actually playing elite defensive hockey. They were playing okay defensive hockey, but their bottom half in the league in terms of scoring chances, high danger chances against at five on five, they've been fine. But the minute that the shooting percentage starts to come down offensively and then Freddie Anderson, like you guys said, he's been a bit shaky and obviously Jack Campbell's been hurt, then the, the, the scale is going to tilt. You're going to start giving up more goals than you score. So that had to correct itself. I think that's part of the problem that the Leafs were not just – they just weren't that good. They weren't the best team in the league. Maybe they're the sixth best team in the league. So there's a little bit of regression happening there. I also think that Austin Matthews playing hurt is a problem. You know, he's still getting his points here and there, but he's not the threat he was at the beginning of the season ever since he jammed his wrist a few weeks ago. And I do wonder, because the Leafs have this big cushion, even with their slide, if you have to consider sitting Austin Matthews for two or three weeks, letting that wrist properly heal, you see him on the ice, he's not flicking his his trademark wrister. They've moved him on the power play. They're not setting him up for one-timer. They're putting him net front instead. They're clearly insulating him. They're protecting him. And, you know, he scored the beautiful overtime winner. It was a deke. Last week, he's not shooting the way he normally does. He's not the same player right now. So I think you have to consider mothballing him for a few weeks, getting him back healthier, at least as healthy as you're going to get. Maybe we find out he needs off-season surgery, but I think you got to get him at least to a level where he can be that threat with his shot because he's not the same player otherwise. Um, and when it comes to Freddie, I'm kind of between the two of you. You know, I think Freddie's been fine. I think he, on a team that was on the rise, he's a fine stopgap because he's never going to be the worst goalie in the league. He's going to be middle of the pack. He's going to have stretches of brilliance. I 100% agree that he's not a guy who rises to the occasion. I've said before, he does not steal games in the playoffs. We've never said that. We've never said, wow, Anderson carries Leafs to victory with 49 save performance. Never, right? It's not. He, I also don't think he's lost them games, but he just hasn't been the guy to elevate his game. And this is a team now that's getting to a crucial window I think we've said before, in this North Division, there's a big opportunity. You have Zach Hyman at UFA. You have Freddie Anderson at UFA. Joe Thornton, Wayne Simmons. The team's going to look different next year. You've got to take your shot, and you need a better goaltender to take your shot because the Leafs, this is their best chance. It might be the best chance they're going to get in the Matthews Marners era at a Stanley Cup. So not only, I think, do the Leafs have to consider emptying the farm system, really going for it. Maybe you try and trade for a Matthias Ekholm, a Philip Forsberg, whoever. You can upgrade on defensive forward. I also think there's an upgrade to pursue in net. And what you do is you find a bylaw opportunity on a goalie, I think is the best goalie who's going to be available, who happens to be injured right now, who can heal during a 14 day, 14 day quarantine. And that's Darcy Kemper in Arizona. I think he's the best goalie that's going to be available. 
And the fact that he's hurt, maybe it's a tiny bit of a buy low. It's not a serious injury. And that 14 day quarantine is the perfect amount of time for him to heal up. So if I'm Kyle Dubas, get on the phone to Bill Armstrong and go get Darcy Kemp. So there's been a lot of talk. Uh, we're seeing it pop up more and more. And maybe it's going to be more frequent getting closer to the trade deadline. Uh, we saw Nikita Kucherov, you know, the, his health reports have been good. He's going to be coming back, but he's going to conveniently be parachuting in just for the playoffs when the salary cap disappears. So there's a lot of talk about salary cap circumvention. And with Anders Lee's injury, there's talk that Lou Lamorello, the king of circumvention, the guy who practically invented circumvention, is going to keep Anders Lee out, even if he's healthy in time for the playoffs, because that'll allow the Islanders to make an upgrade. And then the cap disappears. Anders Lee, poof, reappears just in time for the playoffs. So I'm just kind of curious uh, does this bother you guys? Are, are you annoyed by cap circumvention? Do you think it's dirty or do you think it's just the nature of the game and it's no big deal? Ken? Well, I mean, they're not breaking any rules because if they were, um, they, they, they'd be punished for it. Right. Uh, so they're, they're working within the rules. It's almost like, you know, it's almost like that defenseman who, you know, pushes everything to the edge of the rule book as much as he can uh, and, and gets away with it. You know, when really we all know they're breaking the rules, right? Um, what this underlines to me is what I've said for years and years and years, and that is salary caps suck. They suck. They don't, in my opinion, they cause more problems than they, than they, than they cure way more problems than they cure. And this is one of them. Like to me, the, I, I, I've never been on this this uh, this bandwagon of you know the salary cap creates parity. It does not create par- I, in my opinion. It does not create parity. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't. It, you know, teams are spending more than ever. You know you have to now spend up to the cap rather than if you are a budget team before you could spend what whatever you wanted to. Right. Um, you know I just I just think that salary caps cause way more problems than than they're than the, than they than they solve. And to me, like it's ridiculous. You have to be cap compliant for a nothing game in the middle of November. You got to be cap compliant or you can't step on the ice. Yeah. But in the most important time of the year, you don't have to be cap compliant. Game seven of the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, game Man, seven of the Cup final. Whatever you want. Uh, we have guys in our, in our lineup that uh, actually are, you know, you total out their caps, their caps, and it's uh, $373 million. Like it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense if you got to be cap compliant in the regular season when you're playing games that are not as not close to being as meaningful. How could you not have to be cap compliant at the most important time of the year? Salary caps suck. They don't they they don't they don't fulfill their mandate. And I just I just think they cause way more problems than they solve. Mm. Very good point, Ken. And I will uh, agree, but I'll go a different direction here. You know, I, I compare it to, you know, in the NBA when teams rest their stars. And I know, you know, fans didn't always like it if they wanted to see LeBron or Tim Duncan or whoever it might have been. Um, I, I don't have a problem with this because it's not like these teams are resting bad, overpaid players. Like Nikita Kucherov is a heart trophy winner. Anders Lee is the captain of a really good Islanders team. If, and I should also point out, I'll, I'll go off on a bit of a tangent here. You know, Mike Johnson, the former player turned analyst, 
pointed out on Twitter the other day, he had like the exact same injury as Nikita Kucherov. And he, and he said like, look, the recovery takes a long time. This is not weird. Like just because he's on the ice doesn't mean he's fit to play in an NHL game. And I feel like, you know, a guy who literally played in the NHL and had that injury probably has a pretty good perspective on what Kucherov's going through right now. So just because he's training doesn't mean he's ready. And again, he's Nikita Kucherov. If Tampa Bay could have him in the lineup, I'm sure they wouldn't mind. The fact that they're still one of the best teams, if not the best team in the NHL without him, tells me that they're doing things the right way. Mm -hmm. Same with the Islanders. I mean, the Islanders are top of that division now. And, you know, they haven't been missing Lee as long, obviously, but... I mean, if the Islanders continue to play great, then, I mean, good on them. And if they get a bonus with Lee coming back, then they earned it because they're winning all these games. Uh, I don't have any problem with it because these teams, whether it's, you know, because the players are indeed injured and still recovering for a long time, or if they're having a bit of a break, I mean, they're still earning their wins. Mm -hmm. And producer Steven adds, via message. If we've learned anything over the past year, it's that Twitter people aren't medical experts. Uh, I, I'm mostly with you guys. I, I, I'm not a big uh, complainer when it comes to cap circumvention, because again, like you said, Ken, you're doing something that's within the rules. This happens in my fantasy leagues all the time where it's like, well, this wasn't illegal. I did this because it was allowed. Um, and to me this year in particular cap circumvention, I think is the most justified it's ever been because the flat cap has put so many teams in bad situations, teams that had structured their entire payroll around the previous world where there wasn't a flat cap. So obviously you're put into tough situations. Now you have 13 teams currently uh, before you factor in LTIR that are over the 81.5, almost half the league is over the $81.5 million mark. So to me, it's like almost every team, or at least almost half the teams in the league are, are in that same situation where they would kill to be able to do it if they had to. Uh, so I, I don't think it's, it's a case of, you know, a couple of wily teams just tricking everyone else. I think other teams, if they end up in the same situations would want to do it as well. So it, it sits fine with me. Um, Ken, I know you wrote about Eric Carlson earlier this week. He was quoted uh, talking about the fact that, you know, he didn't sign up for being part of another rebuild in San Jose. It's kind of reliving everything that happened in Ottawa. The Sharks are a pretty bad team. Um, so before we get into Carlson specifically, I guess you can, if you want to, but also just in general, I'm kind of wondering, do you think Carlson's right implying that the Sharks are kind of screwed and is it going to be a long, a long run for him? A, a long, I don't, I don't know how many years does he have left? Six years, six, seven years. Uh, so I'm curious, do you guys think the San Jose Sharks are as screwed as Carlson seems to imply they are? Ken, you wrote it. So let's start with you. Well, you know, I mean, uh, I got a lot of thoughts on this. I mean, Eric Carlson says he doesn't, he didn't sign up for a rebuild. Well, the San Jose Sharks didn't sign up for him playing this way. <laughs> you know what I mean? They did not give him an eight year deal at $11.5 million a year uh, to, to watch him regress the way he has. Um, so shut up, <laughs> you know, um, secondly, I don't know. I mean, I, to me, the San Jose sharks are, are the Chicago Blackhawks, the Pittsburgh Penguins without a cup, you know, I mean, they, 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 they did what they had to do, what they felt they had to do to build a championship roster. And unfortunately, you know, teams like them and the Nashville predators, came up short and it doesn't look like their window is going to open again. Um, they've got a fair number of guys on really long-term deals for big money that are unmovable. 
Like I can't imagine there's a GM in the league that would take Eric Carlson now under any circumstances. I mean, he's got a no move, so it doesn't matter anyways, but, but you know what I mean? Right. Like, I mean, there's just, there's just too many, there's just too much dead weight there. Uh, Goaltending continues to be a problem in San Jose. You know, they had nine picks last year. They're probably going to have a good number of picks this year. They do have some good prospects. um, But this, this is a long haul thing, especially since you're, you're in that spot where you're both bad and you're in salary cap hell, which is probably the worst place to be. I, yeah. And I think part of the problem, you know, for the sharks was they were hoping that they had a cohort of prospects that would step up sort of a year or two ago. And, you know, you know, Kevin LeBanc was kind of headlining that group uh, but for the most part, that crew didn't take the next step. And if you think about just roster construction, if you had guys on entry-level deals or even you know, low-cost bridge deals, that would kind of offset the big veteran contracts that you had. It didn't really happen. Now they're looking at a next wave of prospects, guys like John Leonard and you know, uh, you know, Ryan Merkley is still on his way up and you know, Joachim Blixfeld. Uh, sort of, and Ivan Chekovich to a lesser extent, you know, if you can get a couple of those guys to really hit, then maybe you're in a better spot. Uh, again, because they're going to be cheap relative to uh, their services. But I, I just, I think they're kind of toast from here on out. And, you know, frankly, the Eric Carlson deal just really hammered them because they could have had Tim Stutzla. If you think about it, if they didn't make that move, they could add Tim Stutzla and they would have still had Josh Norris and adding just those two guys to the lineup right now could have made a world of difference because Josh Norris could have been, you know, your second line center at this point, third line center at worst. Um, Tim Stutzla obviously could have been either on your top line or your second line. And you would have had a lot more depth. Maybe it, you know, unlocks something more in some of the veterans you have, but it didn't happen. And unfortunately they've got, uh, they've got some old expensive defensemen, including Eric Carlson. And, you know, unless they get Shane Wright uh, in 2022 or Connor Bedard in 2023, um, it's, there's going to be some pain for a while. Kenny. Well, yeah, I did the hand up thing yeah, again. Did the hand raise? I just, I just want to point out that Eric Carlson actually isn't that old of a defenseman. He's one day older than Roman Yossi. Yeah, but one his day, body's his body's ten one years. One day old. older than yeah. Roman Yossi, and he's like six months older than Victor Hedman. He's not that old, but he's done. I I I, I agree. I mean, he's playing like he's old, but he's actually not that old. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah, he has I, I think it's ankles, Ken. Yeah, it's the ankles being replaced. Uh, he hasn't been the same player since. But it's funny, before I dive in, I do want to defend Carlson for one second. I do think his quote was very much taken out of context. It wasn't like Carlson got in a soapbox and was like, this isn't what I signed up for. Someone said, someone asked him, "Is it? has this been tough? And he said, sure. It's like, yeah, of course, this isn't what I signed up for, obviously. You know, I didn't want, I didn't want this to happen. I obviously wanted to be on a contender, not a rebuild again, but he was responding to a question. That's my understanding at least. So I I do think it's worth noting that it wasn't like he was complaining. He just was saying the obvious, like, yeah, of course this sucks. Um, But it's interesting, you know, you know, the Carlson trade gutted 
the, the franchise in so many ways. Like you said, Ryan, they lose Stutzla and they lose Josh Norris. They also couldn't re-sign Joe Pavelski, Eunice Donskoy, and Gustav Nykvist. They lost three members of their top nine, if not top six, forward group. And now forward depth has been a problem for them ever since, especially on the right wing. So that trade, it, it was like a wrecking ball to the franchise or because in the trade and the re-signing, they couldn't re-sign some crucial veterans that would have kept them more competitive last year. They lose some crucial prospects. They, they trade away one of their best prospects in the deal. And Carlson, of course, not only, not only did, did he do, did the trade have that effect where it made the, the team random weaker, he's not even delivering what he was supposed to deliver because He's just a shell of himself. And if you look into the deeper metrics, I did this going into our fantasy podcast, the last fantasy episode, every single metric about his game has declined. At least his first year with the Sharks, it was okay. He's been banged up, but he's still driving the play really well. He's still playing at an elite level. He's not anymore. He's playing the worst hockey since his rookie season. He's not generating shots. He's not generating attempts for his team. He's having the smallest impact he's ever had on the game or at least relative to his rookie season. So it really does not bode well. And in my opinion, the San Jose Sharks are out of 31 teams, the furthest from the Stanley cup. They are to me what the Detroit Red Wings were three to four years ago. Imagine knowing that you're Detroit three or four years ago, because the problem is they have not had their denial moment yet. They're still believing they can be a contender. So it's like Detroit when they were still hanging on to the, to the playoff streak. I remember asking Ken Holland, like, is this streak becoming a curse for you guys? Because you feel this, obligation to keep it going and it, you limp along and i think the sharks because they have such a winning culture they never miss the playoffs they're limping along limping limping along and like you guys said they have all these these big contracts their decor is aging their, their goaltending is maybe the worst in the league their farm system has been voted the worst in the league several years in a row if i'm not mistaken by our future watch panel i know it's going to finally start climbing soon because they're going to start you know, they're going to be holding on more picks like they did last year. But if you look at every one of those factors, the denial, the current on ice product, the future, the contracts, the age of the players, I think the San Jose shark could, they could be 10 years away from winning a Stanley cup. I think it's a tar, it's a hard time to be a sharks fan right now. Uh, it's a good time to be a New York Islanders fan. We touched on them a little bit already when I was talking about Barry Trotz, but I just want to kind of do a, a reverse pat on the back for us. Like maybe a, a slap in the face or, and I'm as guilty as anyone uh, of this, but every year I'm just like, I don't know. I'm not really feeling the Islanders. And we had them on the fringe. I think I had them finishing fifth in that tough division. And every year they just kind of dunk on me and they just defy expectations. And I have a hard time sometimes understanding how they do it. They're 19, six and four. So Ryan, how do they do this? How are they so good every year? Even when they lose bodies, even when everyone predicts them to not do that great. Simply put, they play the right way. And, you know, you mentioned earlier in the podcast, Barry Trotz for another Jack Adams. He's an excellent defensive coach. And again, you know, I mentioned Jeremy Colleton. Barry Trotz was another coach that spoke at that uh, Coaches Association uh, sort of Zoom conference. And obviously he was talking about playing good defense. And you look at the Islanders, their structure is just so good. They get buy-in from all their players, you know, there's like, there's no freelancers really on the Islanders that much, you know, I don't need, like, I don't know if they give a little more leeway to like Wallstrom or Bellows. I doubt they do because you need to get into that lineup and you need to prove that you can play Isles hockey, but they're on top of you. You know, they, they stay in front of uh, the puck carrier. They forecheck hard, you know, they have excellent goaltending 
And, you know, they do have game breakers like Matt Barzell. And then I, I would say like with Wallstrom and Bellows, if those guys keep developing, they can be uh, some real difference makers offensively as well. So when you know that you're probably only going to give up like a goal or two a night, um, it gives you a lot of confidence. And they've seen during this whole trots era that the plan works and it may not be sexy, but uh, nothing's better than wins. And I'm sure that uh, Islanders fans are not complaining. Yeah. I mean, you said it off the top, Matt, when you picked your Jack Adams award winner, I think that's, that's the, that's the common thread here is that, um, you, you know, I mean, coaches can have an enormous impact on their rosters and they, they all do either positively or negatively. And this guy, uh, Barry Trotz is, is obviously, you know, been pushing all of the right buttons and, and, and teaching them to play the right way and, and getting the buy-in that they need. You know, it certainly helps that their goaltending has been really good this year. Uh, it certainly helps too. I think when, you know, when you need someone to come into the, into the, into the, uh, into the mix here, you end up bringing in an Oliver Wallstrom or a Kiefer Bellows and they can contribute right away. Like they can play, these guys can play. Like you're not bringing in guys that aren't ready, that aren't, you know, that, that, you know, that, 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 that can't handle the situation that they're put in, you know, that, that and that, that in itself, I think creates competition too. Because like when you know that there's nobody coming up, that's really that good that can take your spot in the lineup. I think it's only a matter. I think it's only human nature that you might get a little complacent, but you know, I mean, you look at, you look at the situation in Long Island and it's like, wow, they, you know, these guys coming up are, are, are really good. And so I'm going to have to pick it up as well. So, yeah, I think I, you know, I mean, but I think, I do think it's, I do think the Barry Trotz factor is an enormous one. Um, as I said, you know, coaching is in this league is, is this league is as, is as heavily coached as any league uh, out there. And, uh, and I think Barry Trotz is having that, that, uh, that positive effect on his team. For sure. And I, I would say they remind me of the, of the 94, 95 devils. Cause I mean, they have the same GM. Um, but although that those devils teams still had guys who end up being hall of famers, maybe it's more the, the Jacques Lemaire, Minnesota wild of like the Oh, two Oh three, that era maybe is who, who these Islanders remind me of. And, and like you said, Ryan, you said not sexy. I think that's what it is. I think that's what creates the bias against them. Maybe it's not even conscious, but you know, if you look, they're 16th in offense, they're 20th in power play, 14th in shots. Like they don't, they don't play exciting hockey. I've said that before. Um, and I'm sure Islanders fans are going to get mad at me as they did last time I said that, but I don't mean that as an insult. I'm just saying it's what it's the, the style of hockey they choose to play. They don't generate as many chances. They're really about limiting chances and counter punching. It's just how they play. And it's effective. I'm not saying it's not effective. It's less fun to watch. And I think maybe people just are inherently less likely to pick the Islanders to do something great. Cause you just don't enjoy seeing them win as much. I don't know if that's what it is. And, you know, other than Barzell, they're also a team that doesn't have star power. So it, you look up and down the roster every year and you compare it to what you see on, you know, Washington or Pittsburgh or Philly, and you just don't, you don't have the same wow factor from the Islanders. I think that's why they end up sliding down people's predictions. I'm sure it's what happens with me, but like you guys said, like I said before, I think it's the coaching influence for sure. He puts the stamp on the team and I guess I have to stop doubting them. I should just stop doubting any Barry Trotz coached team forever. I think is that's the lesson here. Uh, let's do some listener questions. The first question, it's a really good question. from Kevin's Werble. It's a long question. So I have to, I have to take a screenshot. Okay. I got my phone here. I'm going to read it, but it's a cool question. Uh, let's see. Okay. So this is his question. Last year, there were a lot of decades talk. There were a lot. I'll let that slide, Kevin. <laughs> One article I read 
discuss Major League Baseball's team of the decade. One would assume, oh, it's the San Francisco Giants. They won three World Series, right? Wrong. It was the Houston Astros because they tanked to get better draft picks. They revolutionized front offices by using advanced stats and cheating. Uh, they won a World Series and were overall really successful in the latter half of the, two, of the 2010s. Essentially, they were a big story, and teams have tried to emulate that same path of success. Uh, and, he, and he goes on for a while, but basically what he, what he wants to know is, is there an equivalent uh, in hockey? So a non-traditional team of the decade, not just the team that's won the most, but a team that's been the biggest story for multiple reasons. Uh, my answer is funny. This team did win a lot in the decade, but I think it's the Pittsburgh Penguins. Because if you look at every way that they ran their operation, I think they're the most copied team in the NHL. So they were a top heavy roster. They rely on high draft picks and they devoted a lot of money to their stars. Then they, they used their development system. They did, they traded away a lot of their picks, but their farm system in Wilkes-Barre-Scranton was so good that they turned mid-range guys into viable contributors. So Brian Rust, Connor Sherry, Brian Dumoulin, Jake Gensel, none of those guys were A-grade prospects, but their development system was so good down there. So that's another thing that they did. And if you look at just their, not just their, not this, their cap structure, because they went for broke, but also the way they play. They, they sort of brought in this new era of speed over size, and a lot of teams started trying to play fast. I think, they, I think the Pittsburgh Penguins of 15-16, when Mike Sullivan arrived, I think they sped up the entire NHL. I think the whole league plays faster now as a result of that team. I think everyone wanted to copy that team. I remember Mike Sullivan, the year after that, he told me that. He felt like they were being extremely copied by everyone, and they had to be very wary of that. So to me, the Penguins are the team of that decade just because – I think everyone copies so many different things that they do. Ken, what say you? Well, I, I, I mean, I'm going to pick another team that won, and and for 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 a lot of the same reasons, and that's the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, you know, to me, uh, they were a team that again they bottomed out. They got Taves and Kane, and what they did was they identified their core players, and they they paid them, they signed them, and they paid them, and they didn't they didn't look back and, and have any regrets. Like they don't, you know, I mean, Brent Seabrook just retired. I don't think they have any regrets about signing Brent Seabrook to that contract. Look at, look at the deal they signed Duncan Keith to. I mean, one of the most underpaid guys in the league at, 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 at uh, when he was at his, uh, at his apex and they managed the hell out of the salary cap. Like they all, like, I think that's the template they set is that you've kind of always got to be on that precipice of, of you know exploding when it comes to the salary cap but yeah. you have to make the moves when you make them and 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 th- what Stan Bowman did was he did not fall in love with his players outside of that core so like when they had to make a deal okay we got to trade Dustin Bufflin that's what we do we win a cup he was a great part of it awesome but he's gone you know Brandon Sod gone you know, these guys, and then he comes back and they were another team also that, that were sort of mining these lesser known guys. Like, you know, they got the Alex DeBrinkets, they got, you know, they signed, they signed, um, you know, they, they've got, you know, now they're doing it with like guys like Kurashev and, and Pius Suter and Kevin Lankinen. And, and so they've, they've built that the right way. Um, and I, I just think that, you know, they, they've, they managed, I know that they sort of took some heat for the way they managed the salary cap. I, I don't think that the salary cap's ever been more brilliantly managed than mm-hmm. it was in those, you know, sort of salad days of the Chicago Blackhawks. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to go with Chicago as well, although Pittsburgh is sort of neck and neck there. And I'll say Chicago because of the puck possession game that they really pushed forward. I mean, that was, if you think about the beginning of the analytics movement, 
think part of the reason that it was validated was you could say, look, Chicago's the best Corsi team in the league consistently, and they keep winning the cup. Or they were like, you know, second. They were like right up there. Them in LA, yeah, for sure. Yeah, them in LA. And the only reason I would not say LA is because LA was not necessarily a fast team. And I think you kind of needed a hybrid of LA and Pittsburgh if you were really going to distill things right now, like heavy, but could also move. So that's where you get like St. Louis, for example, and maybe even to a lesser extent, Washington when they won. Cause they're, you know, I mean, they're a pretty heavy team, even if you don't necessarily think about that with like Ovechkin and Wilson and, you know, TJ Oshie plays heavy, but with Chicago, you know, I mean, Ken made a lot of uh, good points there, but the puck possession game, you know, bringing guys in and out. Like how many times has Chris Verst was Chris Versteeg a Hawk? Like it was like three different <laughs> times if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Right. You know, Brandon Saad was there multiple times. Um, you know, they just had so many players that fit into that system and, you know, they were kind of a heavy team. If you think about Saad and Bufflin and, you know, I mean, Taves is no lightweight himself. He's actually kind of stocky. I don't think we really think about it because he's also so talented, but just because of that style and the fact that they won three cups uh, and Pittsburgh's sort of third cup, I think was 2009. So technically it wasn't in that decade. I'm going to give the slight edge to Chicago, but I think we all know that it's, it's kind of like Chicago and Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good answers. Uh, next question is from Scott Baker. How do you think the ESPN TV deal changes the game in the coming years from the business presentation, even rule change perspective? I don't think that a TV deal is going to affect rule changes, but uh, maybe I'm naive. I don't, I don't see the connection there, but I do think it's really good news for business because if you look at the nature of the properties that Disney owns, you know, from Hulu to Disney plus and, the, and ESPN, ABC, there are just so many more platforms now on which NHL games can appear. And especially from a streaming perspective, that's the key to this deal. It's all about streaming. And I think the NHL, the executives, they recognize that that's the future they've been studying. I know, you know, we've worked on various special business editions over the years. We know we've talked to a lot of the executives in the last couple of years. We know they've been studying the habits of the younger generation of fans. And what they consistently tell us is that fans can, they consume the game differently. The younger generation, Gen Y, Gen Z, they, they consume the games at home more, on tablets more, they stream, they don't necessarily watch on cable. So everything about this deal is conducive to better streaming options. And I think it's going to just produce a lot more eyeballs on the game, younger eyeballs. And I read an interview, I think it was in The Athletic, but uh, there was another NHL executive that talked about, because it's ESPN is just something that's left on screens and sports bars. You know, when code comes back, the NHL is going to be a lot more ubiquitous now. It's going to be appearing just by default because some guy in a sports bar doesn't change the channel. And it's just going to be in the background. It's going to be featured on SportsCenter a lot more because it's now their property. So there's so many ways, I think, in which the game is going to be just exposed more. And I think business-wise, it's, 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 a, it's a big, big win for the NHL. What say you, Ryan? I think the biggest impact for me will be in bringing in more casual fans and, and maybe turning them into hardcore fans because now ESPN has skin in the game. You know, now they have a reason to show highlights on SportsCenter. You know, now they have a reason to make hockey an actual tab on their homepage as opposed to just putting it under more. You know, it's, it's sort of like basketball, football, college basketball, college football, baseball, NASCAR. Yeah. You know, so now I lie. Yeah. Hi, I lie. You know, uh, yeah. Dirt bike racing, uh, bowling. 
now hockey might actually get a tab on the front page. And I, I don't think you can discount that. I mean, just the fact that it'll have more awareness for that huge audience, I think is really good for the sport. And, you know, having big ESPN personalities talk about hockey will have a residual effect. I mean, how many times have we seen that, uh, that little Stephen A. Smith skit uh, on Twitter in the past week? Like it's really gone viral. And I I think it's, it's going to be a a nice marriage because hockey fans and the hockey world is very, excited about sharing the sport and and now ESPN has a reason to promote it. Yeah. I mean, I really can't add anything guys. I mean, you guys have touched on everything. I mean, it's ESPN. That's, that's the bottom line. It's ESPN. And that's the, the, the leader in the, in the industry. You want to be running with the big boys. And, and I think, you know, I, I mean, now you've, you've got a situation where like you guys were saying, and that, that's what I was going to say if you guys hadn't said it first, um, that, you know, I mean, they never talk about hockey on ESPN. I, I, I mean, you, you guys have traveled to the States and, and, you know, on, on different road trips and everything you turn on ESPN and like, not only is there, is, does the hockey like get buried? Like there, there's sometimes there's just like none, like there's zero yeah. hockey on ESPN in, in the bottom screen ticker. It's not even yeah, one of the, the things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Connor McDavid out for season you know, or something like that, right? Like now they're going to be talking about that stuff. Now they're going to, you know, and they're going to be devoting shows to it. They're going to be debating it. You know, like you say, Stephen A. Smith is going to be going on rants about it. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, if you want to be taken seriously, you've got to, you've got to be with the winners and, and ESPN's the winner. Yeah, I think you guys are right. And Stephen adds, it's a chance for NHLers to appear on the new Mighty Ducks show. That's right, because it's a Disney Plus property. So now it's a rights holder. So it's a, there's a synergy there. So you're seeing like, I think I think it's hor- there's horizontal integrations and vertical integration. I think this is horizontal because you've got so many different platforms to get your game out. And it's, it's very impressive stuff. Uh, we'll do one more question. This is from, it sounds like a villain from a kid's cartoon show. Krinkle von Berg. Uh, <laughs> Krinkle von Berg wants to know, after he's done fighting Inspector Gadget, uh, are the players needed to win a championship in the Red Wing system right now, or are they still far from contention? AKA, will a young core of Moritz Sider, Lucas Raymond, Joe Valeno, Philip Zadina, veterans like Dylan Larkin, Tyler Bertuzzi, Philip Peronic, will that group be good enough to eventually take them to the promised land, or do they need to hit the lottery? Well, I think to me, the answer is pretty obvious, and I think Steve Eiserman knows it, baby. He's keeping all those kids out of the lineup because he wants that lottery again. He's whining about the draft, as we've already talked about, because he wants that lottery again. And I think part of the reason why he wants it is that, you know, the, the wings, some of these prospects are pretty exciting. I think Sider's got really, really good potential to be a, a top-tier defenseman. And, of course, Lucas Raymond as well. But I think if you look at the championship sort of blueprint you need the dominant number one center maybe joe valeno becomes a really good center maybe but i think the ceiling might be like really good number two center or he, you know, maybe he becomes a Braden point type of player if everything works out perfectly but it's not the equivalent of having the dominant number one center that all the best teams in the league tend to have and i think the wings need that and i think that i i don't honestly think that the 2021 draft is not detroit's meal tickets the 2022 draft which is much more loaded with franchise altering talent. So I, I think that the Red Wings are going to tank two more years until they finally get the pieces they really want. That's, that's just me, but what say you can. Yeah. In 2023, there's Connor Bedard as well. So oh, man. <laughs> you've got, yeah. You've got another 
boffo draft there too. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to cut them a little more slack than you, Matt, in terms of not having their young players in the lineup. I mean, that's been the Detroit way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, it's always been the Detroit way. They prefer to have their prospects over seasoned and over ready to play in the NHL. You know, Steve Eiserman, you know, learned at the, at the, uh, uh, you know, learned from Ken, Ken Holland, who's, who did that better than anybody. So mm-hmm. I, I, I still think that that's part of the thinking here. Um, but they're, they're still a ways away. I mean, you know, I mean, if you, you know, we talked about those teams, the Pittsburgh's and the, and the, and the, and the Chicago's, what did those teams do? They bottomed out and got lucky in the lottery and got, like franchise altering players. And I, I, all those guys you talked about right now, I I don't see a single one of them as being that guy. I see them all as being pretty good. They're all pretty good players. And when you have a bunch of pretty good to really good players, you're, you're obviously going to be really good, but I think you need that sort of guy that's going to come in. And and I don't think he's been, I don't think he's there yet, you know? And, and uh, you know, I mean, it's funny. You talked about all those players that, 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 Von Klinger gone Von Buren or whatever. Klinger von Berg. Okay. Anyways, that he mentioned. Did you notice that Anthony Mantha wasn't on that list? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah. So anyways, yeah. But right. uh, but yeah, I still think I still think there's a, a ways away, and that's okay. That's okay. You know, you've got Steve Eiserman in Detroit. There's still the honeymoon period. People aren't expecting anything. Take advantage of that. Don't speed things up when they don't need to be sped up. You know. Take your time, do it right, so that you do have another mm-hmm. ten years where you're going to be a, a, you know, a really seriously contending team. Yeah, I think they still need a draft or two. I like a lot of their assembled pieces, but again, I, timing wise, I don't think you have the number one center you need because by the time it all comes together, I think Dylan Larkin is probably an excellent number two. Um, and so having said that, you know, this year, let's say they get a top three pick in the draft, either you get a, a, another very good defenseman in Owen power or Simon Edvinson, or you go with a center slash left winger, like William Eklund or a winger in Dylan Gunther. Um, so you get a pretty good player there. And then as, as has been mentioned, 2022, if all goes right, Shane Wright, is your number one franchise center. If you can get him, then you're in great shape. If you can't get him, there's Brad Lambert and Matt Savoy, who, you know, maybe they're centers, maybe they're wingers. I mean, I've seen them play both uh, and both are incredibly talented. So there's probably a fit there, but that's what you're looking at. And if you have to extend it further, then yes, there's Connor Bedard. There's also Adam Fantilli (laughs) and Mattia Michkoff in 2023, so you have these just boffo top threes for the next two years. This, this year is okay. It's not the same as the other two years. Um, so if you have to extend it, you do. I think Moritz Sider is definitely your guy on the back end. Uh, I mean, so far he has exhibited that he can pretty much do it all back there. I think in net you have possibilities in Keith Pedrozelli and Carter Guylander. I'm not sure about Philip Larson at this point. I think he left Denver too early and it might have uh, affected him. Um, but goaltending, like, you just sort of find that anywhere. It's weird. We know that. So I, I don't think they're quite there, but I think they're building a very good roster. Um, so they're certainly on their way. All right. We're going to finish it off with the rapid-fire game. Ryan is up as the host. 
I will be first answer. Ken will be second answer. And we are ready. All right. This is going to be a fun one today. I promise. Oh God, I always get nervous when you do rapid fire. I know. Stuff I've never even heard of. <laughs> As well you should. So, first question. If you could commit any crime and not be in, and not be in prison for it, like get away with it, what would that crime be? Grand larceny, steal a ton of money, set for life, baby. Mm. I'd go back in time and kill Hitler. Ah, that's Damn, that's a good crime, crime too. <laughs> <laughs> I would pull off a diamond heist at a very famous museum. I think that would be the most fun and no one gets hurt. Yeah. Cause then you'd be pretty badass too. Like you get, you get the, the money, but also you, then you're kind of a hero. And exactly. I don't know what museums you guys are going to, but I've never been to a museum where there's like uh, invaluable diamonds. Like I go to <laughs> museums where off. there's some, where there's some guy, you know, a paper mache cut out of a guy in a canoe. Like those, are, <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I'm not going to those museums, but, and I don't even know if they exist. I got to yeah. say the Louvre, the Mona Lisa really yeah. overrated. It's like the size of just a regular picture it's you frame on your wall. Yeah. It's so small. It's like, that's it? Yeah. Remind me of, it, of Lisa it's Simpson's it's diorama. Right. And you go in yeah. and they say, there's like, do not take pictures. And all you hear is click, 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 click. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It was so small. I was like, that. I was like, is this just a replica? No, it. this is it. That's it? Yep. All right. Back on track here. <laughs> Next question. Which of the following is not a real Minnesota high school team? The White Bear Lake Bears, the Elk River Elks, or the St. Thomas Tommies? Oh, man. Well, St. Thomas Tommies is too weird to not be real. I'm going to say the, the Elks is the fake one. Okay, and Ken, what do you say? Well, I'm going to go with the Bears. I'm going I'm to say the Bears. That just seems to be too, too easy. You are both wrong because the St. Thomas Tommies are actually an NCAA team. The other two are real. Wow. Oh, yes. man. Nice. That's a good one, Ryan. And White Bear Lake actually gets a shout out in the uh, movie Fargo. Uh, so good for them. Uh, <laughs> next question. You're playing three on three overtime. Don't worry about the goalies. The goalies are just goalies. You can have any NHL family as your starting lineup, who do you choose for three on three overtime? If it's a family, uh, I know they're young, but if again, I, I want multiple pieces. Okay, no, the Sedins, Sedin family, Henrik and Daniel, me, Henrik and Daniel. That's my pick. No, you don't get to play. You're not in the film. Oh, I thought you meant, I thought you meant I'm playing. No, no, no. no you just <laughs> oh, man. So I have to pick three members of a yeah. family. Yeah, uh, because he could go. I mean, like the, the halls, but like the halls are not a three-on-three family. I'm gonna say modern. I'm gonna go with the Hughes family, Jack Quinn and Luke. Oh, that's a good one. That's a pretty yeah, good that's one. A really good one. Yeah. Man, I thought I was playing with the Sedins. That was so cool. <laughs> I'll go with uh, Keith Brent and Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> That'll be my three. No I defense, mean, all offense. What's that? Yeah, yeah. No, no defense, all offense. It's right. gonna end. Really quick one way or the other, and I'm just hoping it's going to go my way. <laughs> nice. I'm going to go with the stalls. Eric, Jordan, and Mark on defense. Just you got to have somebody back there to protect the house. Uh, all good answers, though. I like those. Next question. Zeppelin rules. Do they? Uh, yeah, I, I think they do. I, I think the body of work and just the variety across all their different albums. I think I'm a big Robert Plant guy. Yes. 
Oh, kidding. okay. I, I didn't hear, quite hear it. And I was like, oh, something I haven't heard of. You said Zeppelin, Zeppelin right? Rules. Oh, yeah. Zeppelin absolutely rules. Yeah, no yeah. question about it. They, they stand that. To me, I would, I, would, I would judge it by, do I still have them on my iPod? And yes. And another thing that I would judge it by is, does my 25 and 21-year-old son have Zeppelin on their playlist? Yes. yes. They stand the test of time. They're absolutely brilliant. And do you have multiple Hall of Famers in your starting lineup? Yes, you got at least two with with Robert Plant and Jimmy Page. Good point. Well, and John Bonham, one of the best drummers ever. Yeah, he's yeah, uh, he's yeah. I mean, all four of them stacked lineup. Uh, I heard Dazed and Confused on the radio the other day, and it's just like incredible. So yes, Zeppelin does in fact rule. Final question: uh, Adam Levine of Maroon Five uh, controversially said he didn't think there was any bands left today. Um, Name a current band, and Maroon 5 does not count. Uh, I'll say, okay, current band, Arkells. But I, I, do think, I, I do think that he got dumped on unfairly. I do know what he meant. I think that rock bands in particular, not that Maroon 5 is a rock band, but rock bands don't matter the way they used to, even in the 90s. Rock bands aren't famous anymore. Like, they're just not. Like, even in, even in the 90s, you still had, like, you know, Oasis or U2 or whatever. But it's just not a thing now. So I, I, I'm going to defend, I, I'll defend his statement. All right, Ken, name a current band. I'm going to go with a band called Greta Van Fleet. They oh. are from Frankenmuth, Michigan, which is near yeah. Saginaw. And uh, they're, they're, they're three brothers. And the lead singer, talk, speaking of Zeppelin, so they, they sound exactly like Led Zeppelin. Yeah, they're, <laughs> and they're Led Zeppelin wannabes, says Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> And for me, Pig Destroyer is still a band and the band Rapid Fire over. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for a great Rapid Fire. As always, thank you for listening and watching, everyone. And let's enjoy the second half of the NHL season. Thank you for listening to the Hockey News Podcast. Make sure to check out THN.com slash subscribe to get issues of the Hockey News Magazine delivered right to your mailbox.